Welcome to Aphesis Church Podcast Channel. If you're in Columbia, South Carolina area, we would love to get to know you better and for you to experience what Aphesis is all about. If you would like more information about us, please visit our website at aphesischurch.com. It is our prayer that this message truly speaks to you. God bless. So I'm going to ask us to turn to Joshua chapter 24, familiar place in scripture. We're going to read verse 14 through 15, and it reads this. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell in. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Today, I want to teach on this subject, the announcement of separation. The announcement of separation. I want to ask us to go ahead and bow our heads very quickly here. We're going to go to God and ask him to bless us. Dear God, thank you for today. Thank you for this time we have, Lord, to be together. God, I, 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 it does not escape me, Lord, that I'm, I'm here only because of your grace and your goodness. I thank you, Lord, for the air in my lungs. I can thank you, God, for the strength in my body. I thank you, Lord, for the faithful God here today. I pray right now that your word, that it is hidden in our hearts, God, that you strengthen us and you remind us, God, today some things. Help me, your teacher, today. We give you praise. We give you honor and glory. We thank you together. In your name we pray, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. Clap your hands to the Lord just for a moment. Praise God. <clears throat> you may be seated. Of course, we know what today is this, this weekend, what it represents. And I want to kind of emphasize some of the history today. Because on July 4th, 1776, the... Second Continental Congress, which consisted of of really 13 colonies coming together to make a decision and unanimously adopted what we know as the Declaration of Independence. Now, the Declaration became really exactly that. It is declaring something. It is declaring that who we're not going to be any longer and what we're trying to do. And I thought, man, what an awesome opportunity to, to maybe put up the uh, Declaration of Independence and read through it. But I thought as I was reading through it, I was like, oh my, it's quite a lot of, uh, of information regarding trade and, and those types of things. And that's exactly what uh, it was focused on. It, at the time, we know that Great Britain ruled uh, the colonies and uh, there was strife in that season, in that time, that the Americans did not, the American colonies didn't feel like they were getting their just trade. And they felt constantly that any time they were making headway and, 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 and making a living and even growing their wealth, there was always this government entity taking much from them. And so it got to the point where they said enough's enough that uh, uh, we know possibly if you know the history of the Boston Tea Party, you know uh, that was a precursor of what led to today. But really 
really, the Declaration of Independence was simply that, the announcement of separation. It was that time where they came together to jot down things that were necessary to their future, things that they wanted to make sure what makes us different from them, what makes us separate from everybody else, what we're all about. And hence, today, we get to celebrate that special date. But what's interesting, that it really wasn't celebrated as we do today until after the war of 1812. What's interesting is that on the went, going back to July 4th, 1776, felt like a regular business day. It's still, they were still within, right, dead set, kind of towards the beginning of the uh, American Revolutionary War. They were in the middle of a fighting and still declaring that we're going to be separate, that we're not doing this any longer, that these groups of bodies are not, are not going to continue this, this lifestyle and this type of governance that you have over our lives. And they were still doing that, but yet fighting at the same time. And so it's, it's important to notice that July 4th wasn't real fireworks. It was real bombs. It was real, real battles going on. It was, it was a moment in history that doesn't seem like it is today. It wasn't filled with streets like, like we know today with parades and, and popcorn and fun and, and balloons and fireworks and all those things. It, it wasn't hot dogs and hamburgers. It was, it was a real time to declare and to announce that we're going to be different. After that war of 1812, 1812, that what happened? there was really kind of one of the last uh, scuffles that, that America would have with Great Britain over some trade issues and some other things and some policies. Uh, that war lasted there in 1812, three years. And it wasn't until then that they really closed the door with uh, the past, uh, uh, you know, the past uh, governing body. They, they finally said, that's enough, that's it, this is over. But when they finally won that war, they decided, you know what, we announced something pretty strongly. We, 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 we made a point and we need to declare it and celebrate it. And so that's where we get today, the uh, opportunity to have a couple days off and uh, live in a country that I still believe is free, right? So far, so good. But we need to understand that it wasn't until that war of 1812 that focused on the imprisonment of American sailors by the British Navy and that was focused on the expansion of the western areas and, and Native American policies that after that war that lasted three years, then and really then did they begin to celebrate and observe Independence Day. And it became a commonplace, even so much so that now, and back then especially, that they began to schedule certain big deals, grand openings. The canals were open in Ohio. That was a, the Erie Canal was a big uh, waterway system. The uh, certain giant bridges in our, in our country were, were, were set on those dates to, to emphasize July 4th and that special time. And what's interesting about our history is that independence was won well before it was celebrated. It makes me think about us a little bit. The same case, really, for the, for the people of God in their history. And I want to talk a little bit about the history of, of uh, where we're going to 
pull from. And I, of course, I took us to Joshua. But I want to talk about the events leading up to Joshua. And I want to talk about really the, the, the beginning of Exodus. Exodus starts off with really a cry from the people in bondage. The people of Israel now have, um, have, have now lived 400 years in slavery. 400 years have they lived there previously to the point where Joseph was there to help navigate the people of God. It was much smaller at that time into the comforts of Egypt and the, the sanctuary, if I could call it that, of, of Egypt. Because at that time, Egypt had corn, the Bible said. And because there was a drought and there was so much suffering around everywhere else, Joseph was intricate in saving and, and preparing for those hard times. He had those dreams, of course, those visions that he, 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 he was prophetic about and he planned in that prophecy and he put those things in order and he brings in his family into that place but the Bible says this that the Pharaoh or the king of Egypt or or the leader there forgot the God of Joseph forgot Joseph was forgot that relationship and over time that it just began one Pharaoh after another it began to get further and further away that relationship that Israel had with the Egyptians began to change drastically now we find ourselves where, where Israel is living in Goshen in this select area that uh Egypt would probably assume to be slavery sl uh, slums. But as we know in Scripture, Goshen was a very wonderful place. But still, in this moment, Israel is serving the Egyptians and the pharaohs and building and and putting in you know building brick that was one of their main thing that they had to do because the Egyptians loved to build loved to make monuments and so we see here this cry and this scream coming from the people of Israel and God hears their cry and when God hears the cry of Israel God sends a savior and that savior as we would know him is is Moses that leader that, that he would show up. And we know the story of Moses a little bit. He was born out of the people of Israel, put into a, a little makeshift boat and pushed down the river and collected by uh, a very prominent Egyptian family member. And we know that, that history tells us that Egypt uh, uh, adopted, really, Moses. And he, Moses lived in that, and, and I would say, Egyptian cotton. Moses lived in Egyptian palaces for 40 years. At 40 years, finally, Moses goes to go see his, his people one time, and he sees his people being mistreated and, 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 and problems coming upon the people. And he steps in and he stops a, a taskmaster and ends up killing this taskmaster in the, in the process and trying to bury and hide those things. The very next day, the other people of Israel don't, don't look at him in that moment as a savior. They, they, they look at him as evil, as though he's trying to get ahead or as, as some, he's got something up his sleeve. And they begin to talk about him. And here in this moment, Moses realizes, okay, I I can't stay here any longer. I have there, there's no there's no safety amongst my people who I tried to save in that moment, and surely there's no safety in the people of Egypt that I turned my back on. And there he runs, he flees, and he gets to a place where he's kind of alone, and that's where he changes who he used to be and becomes really a shepherd. 
And we find him now living in that season for another 40 years. He's, he's now in this season for 40 years, tending sheep, married. And, and it wasn't until then that God calls him out of that mountain, out of that bush, and, and tells him to go uh, get his people. And he goes and he comes back to Egypt and he does what he does and he, he, he fights he fights the powers that be with a staff in his hand and Aaron by his side he says things like let my people go he performs miracles he does everything he possibly can to work for the Lord and we see finally after the 10th plague when death grips the, the Pharaoh's son that finally Pharaoh says I'm letting you go he dismisses the people. The people finally come together in Goshen. They begin to pack everything they possibly could. And they begin to make their journey out of Egypt, their exodus out of Egypt. Now, it's important to know that there are some timeline issues that I want to talk about here that is subjective. And uh, I'm going to do my best to give you what I feel kind of fits in my study and time. But uh, we see that as... As the people of Israel are are leaving Goshen, they're heading towards Canaan. They're heading towards promise. And they get to a place right near the Red Sea that Pharaoh, in his anger, in his grieve, grieving uh, season, says, you know what, that's it. I know I let them go, but I, I'm going to kill them. I'm going to slay them. I'm, I'm not going to let this injustice uh, be unsaid and be undone. And I'm going to gather every warrior. We're going to gather our cavalry. We're going to hunt them down chase them down and we know that as they get to the Red Sea their backs are against the wall and and God speaks to Moses to help him separate that sea and as he does that as he lift up his hands and his rod the waters separate and dry grounds before them and they all cross and what's an amazing story is, is that they get to the other side and they see the Egyptian cavalry and, and horses and all those types of things coming after them and, and the Bible says that the waters close on them and they all die in that moment and it's, it's a powerful thing they even have a song about it and it's, it's a powerful powerful moment but still they still keep pressing they keep they keep on moving and they keep on trying to get to a place now history and what scripture tells us uh, that it took them 47 days to get from Goshen through the Red Sea up into Mount Sinai. Now, of course, after they get out of the Red Sea, there's times where, you know, there's there's issues with bitter waters. There's there's times where they they, they, they need food and all this. God shows them to be uh, faithful. It doesn't, you know, they got people there crying about onions. I wish I still had leeks. I wish I still had that restaurant. How many of you ever moved somewhere and wish you had something, right? I get it. I get it. But they wanted onions. <clears throat> so, they're murmuring. God answers and helps them through, the, through those seasons. And <laughs> judgment also comes with some of those murmurs. And uh, we see here now they're at Mount Sinai. And the time frame between when they left Goshen and they exit out of Egypt to the time they make their way down and they make their way south and uh, what is probably today Saudi Arabia and moving their way up uh, and crossing through the Red Sea and moving into that area. Mount Sinai is, is that stop where they're, they're getting to. God's leading them to that moment. And when they get there, 
The Bible says that God calls Moses to come only. Only Moses and also Aaron. He could bring bring certain amount of people to a certain level, to a certain summit. But after that certain summit, it's only Moses. So Moses gets up there, and it takes time. This is, this is not a quick thing. And sometimes when we read Scripture, we, we think, man, that's quick. One chapter, boom, done. That was, that was a quick read. But we don't realize that years or, or months went by, and a season of time went by. And so I, I want us to try to understand some things, that while they're there at Mount Sinai, the Bible says that Moses was up there for 40 days. 40 days gathering the, 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 the tablets that God etched out of stone. And then after that 40 days and that revelation that God is giving to Moses and that relationship that Moses is just soaking in, that, that God is, is, is getting angry in this, this moment because the people in the absence of their leader begin to make a plan to they think that they have been uh, they think that they have been just cast aside in this moment because they don't realize that relationship takes time and that instruction takes time and that you know when, when a divine God speaks to a, a fleshly human it takes time it's not quick and those people begin to get restless and say, give me your earrings, give me your jewelry. Let's gather. Let's put things together. I, 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 there's some things that I remember we used to worship back in Egypt. And I, let's worship this a calf. And they, they had some people who were good in gold work and, 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 and uh, uh, crafting things. And they put together this golden calf, which to me, I, I always laugh. I think to myself, I mean, if you're going to build a false god, why a calf, you know? Why, why not like a giant elephant or, you know, like something really cool, you know, like a, like a, like a shark, you know? That's just my, how my thinking is. I, I just think, ooh, a calf. Scary. Our enemies will flee. But here, they devise this thing, and God is, is you know, frustrated. And, and here comes Moses down from his 40 days, and he sees what's going on. He sees the, the false worship, the idols, and he takes what God has given him, and he casts it down at him in frustration, breaking the first, the first set of Ten Commandments. And, and of course, uh, in that season, Moses corrects uh, the people of Israel. But now he has to go back and get what he destroyed but but God says you know what bring your own tablets <laughs> and so Moses goes to the side of the mountain he starts beating out some tablets of stone that are blank slates and now he has to carry up these two tablets up into the mountain to where God's going to write on them and there he spends another 40 days and, and time up there and he gets understanding. But what's also interesting is that uh, he doesn't go two times. I believe uh, scripture will tell us that he will go eight times. He will ascend into the mountain eight separate times because the time frame that they will spend in and around Sinai is two years. And the reason they're there is because they're building something that God instructed them to build, and that is the tabernacle. 
So here we find now the people of Israel taking time building and putting together the plans and, and, and Moses would, would go back and hear more information and more instruction and understand how to do certain things and put things together and he would, he would do everything he possibly could to make sure he was obedient to the process and the plan of building that tabernacle. From there now they've spent 47 days right from Goshen to Sinai two years in that area and now after that that time of, of completion of building that that moving tabernacle that moving presence of God that that God was going to be with them from the mountain now God's going to move with them everywhere else that's what the tabernacle represents it's God moving with them you found me now you're taking me and so God is moving with them and the Bible says that they will go really to the, the, the edge of, of Canaan in that area. But Moses will, or God will instruct Moses to send 12 spies, right? We know the story. He tells them to send a, a, tr a tribal member from each tribe. And, and they will go into, um, they would cross uh, Jordan. They will go into Jericho. They will spy out the land. They will do all those things. That time frame uh, isn't too terribly long. As they make their way back, the reports differ. Ten of them say it's too too big, too great. There's giants. There's there's just too much too much um, for us to handle. And two of them will come back and say, "Let's take it now. Let's do it right now." You know, let's let's let's. Caleb and Joshua would say, "Let no time like now." Let's go ahead. Look what God has already done. He's, he's brought us through uh, in the last two, two years, two plus years. Look what God has done for us. It's fresh on their mind. But the other ten are like, no, it can't be done. And because of their doubt and because, because of all those things, that they find themselves now where God punishes them and punishes their, their unbelief and, and that generation of unbelief if I could say it that way and he says you won't see promised land for for 40 years now many think that when God says that that that's when the 40 years begins but when we look at certain numbers in scripture and I'm saving you I'm saving a lot of time in here and, and I encourage you to go study and prove me wrong if you want to but I, I want us to understand here that actually they spend 38 years in wondering because the two years they spent in Sinai and those other days in traveling, it was, it, when he says 40 years, it's really marking the time from when they exit Goshen into the time they cross over, over the river into the promised land. That is the 40-year season. So often we just assume it's, it's those 47 days plus the two years plus another four years. That would be 42 years and 47 days, correct? If right. But the thing is, is what God was trying to show us is that he knew all along he knew all along that there's going to be doubt on the trip. And he knew that this was, God knows the beginning from the end. But he allows us to make that choice and that decision. And I love that about God, even though God knows my tomorrow and God knows what's going to happen. He allows me to live it. He allows me to, 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 to do whatever I can. And there they spend 38 years in that area, which is on the map called the wilderness of Paran or Kadesh Barian, that, that area. And it wasn't until the time that that generation that finally died out, that 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 
generation of doubt, those, those ten spies and, and the generation that, that, that represented them, they all died. And when they finally died, then they were released out of the wilderness. They were released to go forward and cross into promise. And so we see that, that time frame that even in that moment, Moses dies. Moses passes away, and the Bible says that they really don't move forward until they bury Moses, or really they, they celebrate his death, if I could put it that way. They, they, don't, they don't necessarily... Uh, go forward until they, they recognize that Moses has died. And so now uh, this time frame, the 40 years uh, total it took Israel to get from Goshen to Canaan. Now Joshua is the leader of Israel. Moses has passed. And though I want us to grip this history for a second, that's 40 years. That's 40 years from when they declared, when they, when they declared independence from Egypt. When that 10th plague was landed its blow on Pharaoh and Pharaoh says, get out. Finally, independence was won. But it wasn't really announced until they get into promise and until Joshua speaks some things. And I want to look at what Joshua says. He comes to a point in his tenure of leadership where he demands a decision to be made. This decision was to be the announcement of separation. And I go back to my opening text in 24 and 14. He says, now therefore, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve. I'm going to pause there for a second because that's exactly the, the place where we're at right now. I want us to understand what he's trying to say. He's trying to say, you have spent years living in independence, but not declaring independence. You spend, you've seen a generation waste away, and you've yet to announce separation. You have yet to announce who you really are. And he, he, he says, that's enough is enough. I'm tired of this routine. I'm tired of what's going on. Choose you this day. Make a choice right now because it's not a it's not a when it's going to happen, it's a now it's going to happen. Because Joshua is at the end of his life. He is really kind of that that last, if I could put it that way, that last real, I'm not gonna say real leader. He there's many real leaders. He's that last leader that's connected to Egypt. He's that last leader that's really that really understood how hard it was making brick without straw. He's that last leader that understands I've seen I've seen the separation of waters. I've seen a water come out of the rock. I've seen and and watched the building of the tabernacle. I've seen I, I was here for my feet was here first on in on Canaan land before I was thrusted into a wilderness, a waiting period for 38 years. 
He represents something so strong that it has to be frustrating for Joshua. It has to be so frustrating for the guy who finally got freed from slavery, seeing the might and the power of God and what God brought them through this entire time. Finally getting to step over the Jordan River and see the, 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 the cluster of grapes so big and so grand that it took two men to carry them back to the tribes. He, he had to think, man, what rich soil, what wealth God is giving us, what, what wonder, what promise I get to see that all of a sudden, nope, <laughs> you're going to be, you're, because of them, you get to be punished as well. Now that punishment of death wasn't for Joshua or Caleb. We know that they were the only two that made it out of that, that, that punishment. And now when he speaks up towards the end of his life in the 24th chapter, he's making a strong point that I have, we have lived in indecision for far too long. We, we claim to be free. God, God's made us free, but will we honestly be free? Will we honestly declare and announce a real separation? And this is what he brings up. He says, choose you this day whom you will serve. And here are the choices. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell in. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He gives them three choices. The first choice is the gods on the other side of the floods. And I want us to understand this goes way back. This goes back pre-Noah. Okay? He wasn't talking about the floods of the Red Sea and the, the embankments of those things. No, he was talking about well before slavery. And what a powerful moment that is to recognize the fact that there's still idols way back then that has followed us all the way till now. That there's still, there's still that lingering presence of, of deceit and, and death and lying and idolatry that's still all the way back, all the way back to Terah, all the way back to his father and his, the Earl Chaldees, all the way back, even all the way back to Nimrod. Now Nimrod, he was, he was he, an individual who built things. Nimrod built and was part of that Babylonian empire. And he built that, that it was tried to press and push the building of, of the Tower of Babel. And all the way since then, there were ways that they worshipped some false things. And they, they, they collected those things in their life and in their heart. And I go back and I want to read Joshua 24 verse 2. Where Joshua says unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, or Nahor is another pronouncement, and they served other gods. He was talking about those particular gods. I want us to get something really strong uh, understanding today. As much as we love to see Father Abraham, I, I grew up in a Sunday school, right? And if you're like me and you grew up in Sunday school, you, you heard that song, Father Abraham had many sons, right? You don't have to join in. You just let me suffer up here by myself, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'll, I'll, that's the difference between me and the associate pastor. I can't sing. <laughs> He's a cheat code. It's unfair. At his voice, I'd just come up here every time and sing constantly. I'd sing my messages out with that voice. Here's, here's the thing, though. 
Abraham was an idol worshiper. I mean, he was an idol worshiper for a long time. He grew under the tutelage and, 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 and the understanding of Terah, his father, and Terah was, was, was pulled things from his father and his father before him, and they had those idols. They had these, uh, these types of pyramids. They weren't py- real pyramids, as you would know it, but um, they had these kind of uh, platforms that would go up to another platform. And on the top, there was a temple and there was a priest there that would offer sacrifices to idols. And that, that's what they built there in that Babylonian area and that area where he came from, that Mesopotamia area. That's, it, was, it was common. And they all went there and they served idols. They worshiped idols until, until Abram was 75 years old. I want to tell you right now, we can walk up and down this street and you can go to some some, some prominent Baptist churches down this road. And you could walk in there today and probably easily shake the hands of multiple good people who served their do- denomination for 75 plus years. And could you imagine coming up to them and saying, all right, what you've been doing this entire time is wrong. Good luck. <laughs> it ain't going to happen. It's only going to happen if God does it. And it took God speaking to Abram to show him and says, I know, I know that what you think you're doing is right, but you are meant for so much more. How is that possible, God? I can't even have children. Uh, What are you talking about? What? I'm, I'm 75 years old. I don't understand what you're trying to tell me. God was just getting started with the father of promise at 75 years old. We should stop calling him the father of promise, but the godfather or the grandfather of promise. Right? The old man of promise is probably the best name we could probably truly give him. But Abram was 75 years old when God interrupted the passing of religious, that religious baton from Torah to Abram. And I can't help but think about those 75 years he had built into the belief that he, he constructed, his, his understanding of, of those things. It's important to know, what were those gods? One of them was called Amaru. And they, Amaru was the lord of the mountains. And the lord of the mountains had a wife. And the wife was the lady of the desert. Okay, her name was Belit Suri. And these two gods they served amongst other, other idols and other things. But these were the two main gods that they focused on in, in those areas. And those gods fo- would, would make their way and their influence down to where the Amorites were. But really, there were so many things there in the Babylonian area. Especially the sun god. They loved the sun god. The, the sun god was known uh, as, um, I, I'm going to just destroy this name, Utu. Um, Utu was the sun god, and then uh, Na- Nana, or Nana was the moon god. So primarily they're focusing on sun and the moon as their gods. And Abram is worshiping those things. Already, I want us to really get a hold of this because we have to understand he was already looking towards the heavens. He's already looking up. And I want us to understand something. 
<laughs> That's how some people are right now that don't have full revelation. They're looking the right direction. They're gazing the right way. Their hunger's in the right place, but they don't understand that there's something beyond the sun and the moon. And it wasn't until God shows himself to be faithful to, to Abram, and, 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 and Abram puts his trust in God. Then, they, then we know the story. I've been teaching on it this past uh, Wednesday. But now we find that the God of your fathers that served, that, that served on the other side of the flood, they represent the past. What Joshua is trying to get inside the people is that you are still serving things from your past, way in your past. Then the second thing he brings up, he says, choose you this day whom you serve, either the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. And I talked about how uh, that the, the Lord of the mountains and the Lord of the valley kind of make their way, that belief system makes their way strong in that area. And we see that's who they worship. And I want us to understand that the Bible says clearly in whose land ye dwell in. Currently, the people are dwelling in the land of where the Amorites are at. And Joshua's making that point that, listen, these, these gods right now that they're serving, you're taking that in. The, the, those present gods, they're influencing you. And that's what I want us to understand. There are some things that are present that are influencing us. There are some things that are present that are we making idols out of. And here Joshua is saying, listen, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether it be things from your past or things in your present. You need to make a choice and a decision. And the choice is really, and that, that announcement of separation needs to be made because God has made you free. He that the Son has set free is what? Partially free? Waiting to be free? Uh, 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 free on loan? Free in the wilderness, walking around, banging your head against the wall? Or are we truly free? Are we truly breaking up and saying, you know what? I am separating myself from my past. I'm, separ I'm separating myself from my present controls, the things that dictate my life, the things that hover over me, the things that, that, that tell me you know, left or right. I'm going to break away from those present things right now because there's a third option that Joshua is so clear about. He says, as for me and my house, we've already made the choice. We're going to choose lo the Lord. That, that word Lord is Jehovah or Jehovah. We know Jehovah had many different names inside the Old Testament. And it's so powerful for us to understand this though. Even though the Amorite God meant Amaru made, meant the Lord of the mountain and Belit Sari was the lady of the desert. I kind of think they're idols of the highs and the lows, if I could put it that way. <clears throat> we also seen Nimrod built gods in Babylonian kept captivity time. When I say Babylon captivity, I'm not talking about the future one. I'm talking about the cap captivating Babylonian structure there during the time before the flood. And you have the moon god and the sun god, Nana and Utu. You have these different names. That means certain things. But Jehovah means the existing one. <laughs> this is an awesome thing. Because Joshua is trying to make a real strong point. 
that you can serve the gods of your of your forefathers in the floods, which is you know they they represent your past, they they, they represent a structure that you no longer really belong to, or you can rep- or you can worship the gods of your present structure, which they have names. But let me just tell you who I serve. I serve a God who was back in my past, who's in my present, and get this, He's in my future. Because when you get to know Jehovah, the existing one, you realize he exists all the time. He exists in your highs. He exists right next to the the Lord of the mountains. He exists right next to the lady of the desert. He exists higher than the sun. He exists he's further than the moon. He exists everywhere. And we get this understanding that finally that Joshua is making this strong point. You serve a God who is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning. He's the end. He's all that and a bag of chips. We see this powerful moment. Joshua wants us to say, you have been declared free. The declaration of independence has been signed. John Hancock has it all over the place. Your John Hancock is all over the place. You've signed those things. But Joshua says, no, no, we really need to announce this. We really need to make sure that the people that we're living with, the Amorites that see us, they need to know that we're free. They need to know that we serve the existing one, the only one. There's only one God, right? Only one Lord, one faith, one baptism, right? There's only one that we have to serve. We get to understand and listen to of separation, if I could put it this way, we could all stand. Joshua 24, 16. After he says, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is what this is what the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he, he it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt. All right? Our Lord was there in our past. Brought us up out of the out of our father out of the land and out of the out of the land of Egypt for the house of bondage and which did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went, meaning the present we see now that this same Lord, they're, they're acknowledging the fact that he was in the past and they're acknowledging the fact that he's in the present. And among all the people through whom we pass, meaning he's continuing, every time we went somewhere, he was with us. It's starting to sink in that he's going to be a part of our future. I, I, I want us to understand this. When those, when those, 13 colonies came together and decided to make a declaration. They weren't making a declaration just based on their present. They said enough's enough. This is about our future. It's all about the future. Everything we're doing here in this room, meeting together, putting pen to paper in this most precious document that will be the structure and the foundation of our great country. It's all about tomorrow. That's a powerful statement. That's a powerful announcement of separation. I encourage us as the church to make those announcements. We got to come. There's times there's some present things in our life that, that are, are 
are controlling us. There's some, let's be honest, are there some idols? Are there some things on, on, in our highs that dictate some things? Are there some things in our lows that dictate some things? Are there some things in our heritage, our, our old, old history that still lingers around? But I, I want to say, you know what? Today I'm free. And I'm free indeed because he made me free. And I'm here to announce the fact that I'm going to, I have a breakup. I have a choice today. I'm breaking up with the things that used to control me. Only God will control me. Let's go ahead and bow our heads right now. Dear God, thank you. Thank you for this time we have together. Thank you for the freedom and the liberty you give. Thank you, Lord, for being present and existing at all times, at every plane, at every height, and every depth, God. Lord, because of you, Lord, we can choose. Because of you, Lord, we have a tomorrow. God, we give you all praise. We give you all glory. We thank you. In your name we pray. And someone say that name with me. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you were encouraged by this message and you would like to connect with Ephesus Church or you would like to get in contact with the leadership of this church, please visit EphesusChurch.com. Thank you for being a part 